When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. All right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Liverpool finally didn't concede first, but sent us all to sleep in the 0-0 draw against Chelsea. And the push for the Champions League qualification continues to look uncertain. Uncertain? It continues to look bloody ugly. Plus, we'll get into the farce of the women's game against Chelsea too. All in the company of James Pearce, Kiefer O'Neill and Andy Jones. Anyway, a three-word view of the weekend, people. James, you're first. Watching paint dry. Cruel, cruel. Kiva. Quite boring, actually. Oh, come on. Give us some positivity now. Andy. Well, I, okay then. <laughs> I'll have to have a <laughs> One hand, it's all on you. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll have, to, have to go off the back of you, Tony. Another clean sheet. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that Klopp was positive about that and he said, you know, not conceding, it's a small step forwards. But it wasn't that much of a step forward, was it, was it, James? No, I think I think what Klopp described it as a little step, didn't he? And I think I can kind of see where he was coming from, but he, even that felt a little bit generous to describe anything that, that panned out on at Anfield on Saturday afternoon as a as a positive. It was an absolute non-event of a game, really. Um, you know, there wasn't even any controversy to to get stuck into or anything. It was. It, it was a game, in all honesty, which showed it, it was ninth against tenth before a ball had been kicked. It, it shows why two clubs who have been synonymous with you know high stakes contests playing out for the biggest prizes for for such a big chunk of the Premier League era, and of course met each other in the two domestic cup finals last season. Why they currently find themselves so far adrift of the top four because. Both teams were big problems, both really disjointed, both really lacking in belief. And I think the longer the game went on as well, both fearful of defeat. In fact, you know, you'd have to say that it was Chelsea that were the better team second half, you know, especially with the signings that, that Potter brought on. That gave them a real impetus and that, you know, if, if anything, I thought Chelsea looked more likely to win the game than Liverpool in the end. Yeah, I mean, again, another false storm for Naby Keita, who who's going to galvanise the midfield. It didn't really work, does it, Kiva? I thought the midfield like looked sturdy again, which is a nice thing, and didn't look too gaping in what it has in recent games. Obviously, the Wolves game painted over the cracks a little bit. I like the Klopp stuck with that midfield and was like, right, if you play well for me, you're playing in the next game. Because it could have been quite easily for him there to just drop Fabinho and Henderson into the game, which obviously he later does, bringing on three midfielders in whatever minute it was, which I was like, is he changing the whole midfield here? What's going on? Um, but Thiago, I think, stayed on the pitch, didn't he, at that time? just felt like, you know, it didn't have that attack and fluidity that it needs, but it did have that sort of 
defensive stronghold energy to it, gently. It wasn't, you know, by any stretch the, the best midfield performance we've ever seen, but I thought uh, Bad Setic did a good job. You know, it's a big moment for him to start in the Premier League at Anfield against Chelsea in an early kickoff. I thought he did really well. Towards the end, he, you know, I think he tired a little bit and that's when, you know, he got brought off, which was, I think, the right decision. But in terms of the midfield, it, it wasn't the worst, was it? But it was far from the best. And we know how much of an impact Liverpool's midfield have in terms of getting them moving forward and attacking. And it just felt like it, it didn't link well between the attack, but maybe it did with the defence. And I feel like that's something to build on. Yeah, I mean, we've got to the point where the bar's really low, isn't it? You know, we're like, we're happy with this performance. Scraping like, the like, battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It could have been worse. It could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, this is not well. We, you know, it, 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 it's very frustrating at this point, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, it is. Um, and, and you're right with that bar being low. And I don't know whether that early Chelsea goal, which was obviously ruled out somewhat spooked Liverpool in the sense of like, oh, maybe we, I don't know, maybe we need to be a little bit more careful. Or- so what you're saying is we did concede first. Well, yeah, we did, didn't we? <laughs> what a surprise. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know whether that spooked Liverpool, but it did seem like first half there was not like a, a lack of an intent to press, but it did seem like Liverpool were trying to draw Chelsea out a little bit and sort of not be as high up the pitch as, I guess, as they were against Wolves, where the, you know, there was a number of opportunities, you know, times in, in sort of that first half, especially where they, they sort of nicked the ball off Wolves quite high up the pitch and, and were able to turn it over. Whereas this felt like they were trying to, you know, they were trying to really hard to stay properly compact. And, and there, were, there were moments when they pressed and then the first 15 of the second half, I felt they pressed really, really well and they were much higher up the pitch. And I don't know whether that was, that was the plan of, we'll try and, Get it to half time, sort of contain, and then we'll open up a little bit more, just as a as a sort of a, a game plan at, the, at this point because things have been going so wrong. It's do you take a little bit more caution to it, and yeah, it it, it did feel slightly underwhelming, but I did almost think that you know wh- whether the approach was which which may have have occurred, you know, even more with that with that goal that got ruled out to sort of being a little bit more cautious in in not just because it's a big home game, it's a big a big chance, you know, you're against a big rival to just go for it. And yeah, I thought it was it was just interesting the way Liverpool sort of, sort of settle. I think with the disallowed goal, it's important to mention that it came from a set piece. And Liverpool, since the start, like the turn of the year, it feels, obviously that night at Brentford was pretty grim watching Liverpool defend set pieces. It just feels like they're unable to do it with the sort of, I know Van Dijk's missing and that's probably a big factor. Uh, right now but it just feels like they're unable to do it with the sort of confidence that they used to and they could have been punished there and I think a couple of times after that because they just don't look I don't know whether they're setting up differently or something's happening in terms of set pieces but it feels like almost the pre-clop era when Liverpool and set pieces you were just like oh my god can the goalkeeper just catch the ball or can you know someone head it away it feels like that worry has returned and I think that is quietly something Liverpool will need to work on over the next few weeks. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I was about to ask you that question. And I was, you know, over the the next three or four months, I'm like living in fear of any free kicks or <laughs> corners. You know, it's, um, James, what, you know, what's going on there? Uh, I think it's just symptomatic of the problems running through the team at the moment and being too timid, essentially. It was pretty scary every... 
every time a set piece was swung into that box on Saturday, you, there was a real sense of unease, and I could feel it around me in inside the stadium. And I think I think Allison made one big save, didn't they? I think from a from a set piece. Um, first half, I think I think that was as well. And yeah, of course you've got the missing Van Dyke factor, but yeah, it goes a bit it goes a bit deeper than that. I think it's. Um, just that kind of again, it comes back to that just collective malaise we've been talking about. That kind of sense of nerves that I think seemed to define so much of that performance on the weekend. You know, it was it just felt so flat. And you kind of again, you kind of hoped that via the VAR decision early on, which was obviously the right one. You know, getting that let off, you, you thought right, well, surely you want to see Liverpool now cash in and make the most of that, but. They, they don't seem able to take advantage of those little things at, at the minute. It was just a bit bizarre. Like even I think it was like a five, ten minute spell before half time when Andy Robertson seemed to be playing up front. I love that. That was the best bit <laughs> of the game. Was, but, it was, <laughs> it? but it was like, it was the injection of kind of energy and kind of dynamism that Liverpool just didn't seem to have in that final third. And he was, you know, obviously he's got a licence to, to attack most of the time anyway. But he, and I think, I think, he, very often you see a left back caught offside a couple of times, like like he was. And I must admit, I didn't really understand Klopp's setup. On the one hand, I was really pleased that he stuck faith with the same midfield from Wolves in midweek. So I thought I just sent out the right message. Bassetic and Cater deserved to have that opportunity. I think it also sent a message to Henderson and Fabino that you know nobody is kind of safe if you like in terms of if if you're not performing to the standards required. But I, I didn't think Klopp helped himself. I didn't understand sticking Harvey Elliott wide on the left. He's just had a real, you know, confidence booster in his natural position wide on the right. I didn't understand why you couldn't have played him wide right, Gagpo wide left, and then played Salah centrally. And similarly, when Nunes came on, I didn't understand why Nunes was was stuck out on the left. I felt a bit sorry for Harvey Elliott on that left-hand side because I think you can see that it doesn't come naturally to him on that side of the pitch. And, And of course, Gagpo... As I think we talked about when he first signed, he needs to be cut some slack because he's joining a team which is misfiring in so many departments. But you know we've need, we've seen nothing from him so far to kind of believe that his arrival is going to give them you know a, a lift in the second half of the season. He looks like a player that is going to need a, a real adaptation period at the minute. Yeah, well, that was, that was but, the, but just stay with, go with me here. Like, and I'm I'm coming more and more to the idea. It's what the midfield needs is an injection of energy, an injection of aggression. Why not play Andy Robertson in the midfield? Give it a go, right? Because there's a good backup in Simicast, you know. So you and just see how it works because he's mobile, he's very, very aggressive, and it might make a difference. Am I mad thinking that? Andy? <laughs> uh, it's certainly not crossed my mind as something to do. Um, I mean, it's brightening in the FA Cup. That's because I'm a football intellectual and you're not. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> at this point, why not? I guess. You know what I mean? I don't think it's, I don't think it's ever going to happen. But, well, it, I think it's fair to say it's not going to happen. But... At this point, well, everyone talks about everyone talks about Trent moving into midfield. It seems to me that, that that's a really bad idea. But you know what? At this stage, I, I put Robbo in there. Well, this is what I mean. I think what Robbo does bring to a to a Liverpool team is exactly what the midfield's been missing throughout this season. And <laughs> it's been to say Klopp's probably tried every single combination of midfield he's got at this point, 
and uh, fair to say hasn't found the solution. So you know what? Why why not? Let's just <laughs> if 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 this season does get worse, why not go a bit mad and just do some <laughs> some of the weirdest things ever seen on a footy pitch and. Uh, if that happens. actually happens and Tony, you've called it, yeah, that'll be incredible. But I feel like <laughs> with Andy Robertson, why no one has ever, because he is just the left back, isn't he? And I feel like he really does enjoy that like width and stretching the pitch. I think playing in midfield would be, even though we've seen a good cameo from him up front there, it would be too sort of cut off from that, you know, the flank and what he likes to do best. I think, like, you know, it's something that you might trial on, like, FIFA or Football Manager or something <laughs> and give it a go and see if it works and then, you know, maybe. But, it, I mean, it's a, a good point to make, really, because we it's not something, I, like, I've ever actually thought about because Andy Robertson just is Liverpool's left-back. One thing I will mention about Robertson in recent weeks, I just feel like he's been the one whose mentality and like level of like you know passion has stayed the same even when Liverpool have been absolutely diabolical at times he's been you know barking orders and shouting shouting around and obviously I think he was the best player for Liverpool on Saturday because of that and because of his drive and his enthusiasm and his passion and his understanding of knowing that if I run forward here and get this ball or press someone, this crowd are going to kick into gear, which I think they did a couple of times when he did it. He's an intelligent footballer knowing that Liverpool needs you know, its support and you know, he was he was trying to sort of, you know, stoke that fire, wasn't he? Which I think was clever. Obviously, it didn't, didn't quite work out for Liverpool, but he's someone that is, is key to this Liverpool team because it just seems that he's still got a level of confidence and I think his, his performances have, have been all right to go along with that as well. Right. Rob all in the midfield. Let's have a march. You know, no F- FSG out. Let's all gather outside Anfield and march and demand it. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. But anyway, let's wipe all that from our memory and let's talk about something much more, well, memorable. Um, the Chelsea women against Liverpool women, Kiva. It was abandoned after six minutes from a frozen pitch. Why are they kicking off? Well, basically, yesterday, or Sunday, if you're listening to this later on in the week, uh, Liverpool were set to play Chelsea women in the WSL away in London at Kings Meadow, which is where Chelsea play their football. And basically there was a pitch inspection at half nine because obviously it had been really frosty and cold overnight. So, you know, the pitch had frozen. And then, you know, we everyone was kind of waiting around seeing whether the game would go ahead. I think eventually at like quarter past 10 around then, there was a tweet to say, you know, the game's on. There was like, you know, white sheets covering the pitch and heaters and everything. They were like trying to get the game on, which was being shown live on on BBC, and then like seven minutes or something like that into the game, it just, you know, it got called off. And rightly so, because, you know, the players' welfare is the most important thing to mention here because that pitch was just like an ice rink, especially, you know, down the sides of it. It was just slippy. Players were sliding everywhere. There's like a a video sort of doing the rounds on Twitter, which is that, you know, the mini highlights of that game because it was so short. And, you know, you're seeing Katie Stengel, who's Liverpool's striker, just, you know, sliding everywhere. Every player just sort of seemed to be falling over, like really dangerous to even have them out there in the first place. And then also it just speaks for that, like, infrastructure of, I guess, the WSL and, and top flight women's football in this country and how, you know, 
Chelsea and Liverpool men's team played on Saturday at Anfield. That game went ahead fine. The pitch was was absolutely lovely. And then, you know, the day after you've got this game being called off really late, which, you know, was frustrating to Liverpool fans. Like I spoke to after the after the game, can you call it that, after the game was abandoned, you know, got up at half three in the morning to get on the, the club coach down. And like, you know, I think I just got there at like quarter past 12 because of, uh, I think, an incident on the motorway, which held them up a little bit. You know, they've been travelling and been awake since that time and um, weren't able to obviously watch the game. So a call should have come earlier. And there was a, a game, Tottenham, I think, were meant to play Leicester and their game got called off the night before. But, you know, I think was the sensible and right thing to do because, you know, it's in the same vicinity and obviously the pitch wasn't going to be in, in the best shape. It just felt like all over the place, this is just messy and not great. And it's, you know, just sad, I think, for players and fans of the women's game, just how far behind it feels it is at times. And that's pretty depressing, I think. It doesn't reflect well on the game. And, you know, in the era of undersoil heating and things like that, it shows that, you know, the grounds that they're playing the women's game on uh, are not good enough. Anyway, you listen to Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. Hello, I'm Adam Hurry, host of a unique football podcast, one of the top 20 football podcasts in Guatemala, a cult football podcast. No, actually, it's one of the most important football podcasts. Football Clichés, a product of nearly 20 years of obsessive research, is a podcast about the mundane and magical depths of the language of football the curious and sometimes almost subliminal things that define the way we consume the modern game. At what age is a player eligible to roll back the years? When does a club's highly rated conveyor belt of talent turn into a fabled production line? How many types of goal-scoring header are there in the footballing vocabulary? Football Clichés doesn't just leave no stone unturned, it looks at every single stone and wonders what's the threshold for a stone to become a rock? but for football, obviously. Listen for your sins on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. The best word I can say but uh, will describe this was boom. Tony Evans here with James Pearce, Kiefer O'Neill and Andy Jones with the walk-on from the Athletic. Well, the top four is crucial to the financial model that Fenway Sports Group have set up. And the 10 points off Man United. Well, got game in hand, you know. Let's be positive. Let's be positive. What? Last year, 100 million um, from the Champions League. The run to the Champions League final. Uh, I mean, are they going to get there? And how? Well, where does it leave them if they don't, James? Well, f- first of all, I think it's, it's certainly too soon to, to completely write it off. I know... I know a lot of people have, and I can kind of understand that kind of sense of doom and gloom because of the performances that keep on being put in at the minute. You know, there's nothing there. No one would have come away from Anfield on on Saturday with with that belief that Liverpool are currently capable of putting together a, a decent run. But I think there's a few things. One, I think we need to bear in mind that this isn't a season like others because we are only just at the halfway point. Was it 29 points at the halfway stage? You have to go back to 2014-15 for the last time Liverpool had so few at, at this point. I was looking back over the last five seasons. I think if you average it out, it's about 70 points that will get you fourth place. So you're talking about probably needing 41 out of the last 57, which again, at the minute, 
seems pretty daunting. Um, if they don't do it, then certainly there will be implications. I think we know that. It's at the minute, there's just a lot of uncertainty around the club, isn't there? We we know that this has been billed as a as a huge summer coming up for Liverpool. You know, clearly that this squad rebuild needs to be you know ramped up a few levels, especially signing effectively you know a new midfield really, and and doing that and attracting those players and having the riches to be able to pull off a deal like the Bellingham one is obviously going to be a lot more difficult if you if you're not in the Champions League. And I think I think the other thing that that strikes me at the minute is there aren't too many saleable assets in that squad where Liverpool have been so good at generating hefty funds. You know, you think back to even a couple of summers ago with, you know, Rianne Brewster for, was it, 23.5 million and Kajana Hoover for, I think, 12 and people like that. You think, you look around there now and I don't, you know, probably Quivine Kelleher, you'd say, would probably be the most valuable who you could potentially do without Nat Phillips potentially as well, could even go before the end of this window. Even with selling a few of those players on the fringes, you're not going to put much of a dent in the asking price for Bellingham. Then obviously the other thing to factor in is what happens with the ownership, because we know this search for investment is ongoing, but it's certainly not as moved on as quickly as a lot of people thought or hoped it would. So again, if that's not resolved until the summer, that's that's going to make things difficult as well because you know then you're kind of if there's not fresh investment then you're relying on FSG doing something which they haven't been prepared to do throughout their ownership which is put their hands in their own pockets to to really boost the the kind of net spend if you want so um so yeah it's it feels like this is a a really really pivotal kind of few months in the in the kind of the, the modern history of the club, really. We saw the Deloitte Money League last week and Liverpool have jumped over Man United. And that kind of... What, what, one of the reasons for that, obviously, is United struggling and not qualifying for the Champions League as much. I mean, you know, there is a sense sometimes when you talk to people, football executives, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, success doesn't really matter. You know, we're, we're, we're big clubs, we're massive clubs, and, you know, we'll still make the, you know, huge money, people want to watch us and all that. But the reality is, success does matter, and it will have an inf- an impact on the bottom line. And not qualifying for the Champions League really does, it doesn't, an ongoing effect, doesn't it, Andy? Yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter for some clubs, it's fair to say, who, who probably benefit from, sort of the owners that they have, but the way Liverpool are running Liverpool's model, you know, needing to make the money to then to use the money, then it is, it's massive, I mean, 100 million, it's just, especially given that what, as, as James was, was alluding to, that the amount of work that they've got to do in this summer, you know, it's not just you, Bellingham, that they want slash need, you know, they need two or three more midfielders to go on top of that. They also cost money unless they're going to go and find some gems from from somewhere for for very small prices which I don't think is going to be the case so you you, you know you take 100 million out of that that transfer kitty and, and suddenly you're really you're probably really really struggling to get two or three in removing Jude Bellingham from the picture so for Liverpool and the way they're running and the way and and how it, it has always been it's been so important since FSG have come in it's been very very clear the Champions League qualification is so so important to the way the, the club can invest and, and go into the transfer market and even then they've still not, you know, made made massive waves in the transfer market, you know, every summer or anything like that. But they have been able to go out and when when they feel right, spend big. But yeah, as as and, and as James said, it also certainly doesn't help when you get to that point where 
you, you've lost the, the players who could go for for significant fees. Then you look, you, you factor in Liverpool's wage bill, which is you know one of the biggest in in Europe. Sixty-two percent of the revenue is spent yeah. on the, you know wages. Exactly. So that so when you put that in and then you take out a hundred million from that, that's a lot of money going. So it would need you would you would think it would need FSG to, to you know to, to put that into their own pocket and sort of you know to put money into the club and, and try and do something, but. You know, and it sort of points to why they're looking for some, you know, investments um, to to probably, you know, help do that. And and they'll share they'll, they'll really need that help if Liverpool don't finish in the top four. And the way it's going, it doesn't look like that that's going to happen at this point. James, are we going to see anyone leave? The, you know, in this month. You know, uh, I mean, in the past they've done well selling people. They've got you know reasonable money in. Is there anyone who can bring in some cash? Well, I think I think the only thing that's kind of shifted of late is you know that it, it's reopened the possibility and that Phillips leaving before the the end of the January window with with Reese Williams coming back from from his loan at, at Blackpool and, and the initial plan when Van Dyke uh, damaged his hamstring was was that Nat Phillips would stay put for the rest of the season and you know it would be very much a, a summer move they'd be looking at for him. So two pound fifty? <laughs> no, and I, I think I mean, but whenever I whenever I watch Nat Phillips, it always amazes me that clubs haven't been willing to to pay a decent whack for him because I think there is a dearth of decent, reliable centre halves around. That he, I, I can't think of a single occasion when Nat Phillips has let Liverpool down. He, he might he'd be the first to admit he's not the most um, cultured of footballers, but he does exactly what you want primarily from a centre half. And I think if Liverpool were to be offered around that ten million pound mark, they would certainly be keen to 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 have discussions on that front. And Reese Williams would then stay around for the rest of the season. But yeah, looking, I mean, looking further forward, you know, the the sporting director situation, you know, kind of adds to the uncertainty, doesn't it? You know, said before about how you know, there's uncertainty over the ownership in terms of is there going to be that fresh investment to really boost the the cash that Klopp's got available? Because I think you know the usual scenario of maybe. 40, 50 million plus whatever can be raised in sales isn't going to cut it for Liverpool this summer. I think that's that's crystal clear. Certainly not if you're serious about trying to get someone like Bellingham. And it's not like Liverpool just need Bellingham. So there's a lot to sort out. And, and yeah, who's who's going to be doing those deals? That's the thing. We don't know at the minute. Klopp and, and Billy Hogan are essentially responsible for that process of, of finding a successor to Julian Ward. I was told that they would kind of assessing their options in terms of will they bring in a kind of a, a like-for-like replacement in terms of as a sporting director that Klopp would work with um, or will there be a slight shift in the in the structure of the the kind of football hierarchy what Liverpool don't really have as well when I was thinking about it is when you you know you think back to you know the two most transformative signings Liverpool have bought under Klopp of course Van Dijk and Alisson were bought with the, the money that Liverpool got from selling Coutinho and when you look around that squad, as well as there not being too many players on the fringes that you could you'd be willing to sell that would raise significant funds, I don't think there isn't really a gem there, is there? That you you would, with a heavy heart, potentially sell for you know a huge sum of money. It all adds to that mix of there being a, a huge amount to sort out. And of course, we're still you know I still hope that Liverpool will. Find a deal that they can do to start that mid midfield revamp before the end of the January window. I think that's what they need to do. I think 
they're going to leave themselves too much to do if they don't bring a midfielder in during this window. But you know, Klopp has made it clear that clearly there isn't vast sums of money available to him at the minute. You know, I think they got their fingers burnt at the end of the summer by panicking and going and get Arthur Mello from Juventus on loan. You know, that was you know looked upon as you know a, a cheap short gap option. Yet you know, the reality is it's been it's been an expensive mistake. We're not far off February, and he's played 13 minutes of football. So I'd I'd be absolutely amazed if we saw Liverpool go and do anything similar to that in terms of in terms of a stopgap. Do you think the best thing we could do actually is like ban the word Bellingham from the podcast <laughs> and like, you know, the B word, like, you know, we're not talk about it anymore. You know, it's like put our fingers in our ears and home and like, oh, you know, pretend it's not going to happen. And then if it does be pleasantly surprised, but uh, you know, if you, they're not in the champions league, is he, is, is anyone really good going to come Kiva? I think Stephen Gerrard spoke well about this at the weekend. He was on BT Sports ahead of Liverpool's game and he was sort of, you know, speaking about, you know, what's already in place at the club, you know, beyond Champions League football. And like I've mentioned this before, and I know you've tried to ban the word Bellingham here, but Jude Bellingham, someone who will, I think, pick the right club based on much more than just, you know, Champions League football. Uh, I think he's, he's very switched on the, you know, Liverpool potentially would be, a really good move for him. He he dominate the midfield for the next decade, and I think he he sought similar assurances of playing time when he moved to Dortmund originally. You know, mid offers from elsewhere. So I think you know he'll he'll make the right decision when it comes to to that time. And I think you know I think it's not always about I guess Champions League football for players and that kind of thing. I mean, obviously we're talking about and how important it is to Liverpool's model under FSG and, you know, money needs to come in for money to be spent and that kind of thing and just for the club to to run in the way it has been been ran for the past few years. And, yeah, I think it'll be interesting one. But if, if we can't talk about it anymore, let's uh, put a zip in it, eh? Well, funnily enough, two things that Kenny Dabley said to me on different occasions one he said is there there are there are two things that bring players to clubs and keep players at clubs trophies and money and he said like you know you you can't like blame players for wanting to leave if they're not winning he said he would have left Liverpool if you know there was opportunity elsewhere and they weren't winning trophies the other thing he said is that when he was manager he wouldn't phone up young players he'd get he'd get Stephen the captain to phone them and like um come come and play with me and like so the glamour of Steven Gerrard is still massive will it be enough to bring Bellingham to Anfield I hope so I'll tell you what get him on that plane get him out to take a meal in in Dortmund I've been in Dortmund the ham hocks are massive and the beer is brilliant so you know what Get him out there, talk Bellingham into coming back and into coming to Liverpool, and that that that'd be wonderful. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. 
In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic, with me, Tony Evans, James Pearce, Keith O'Neill, and Andy Jones. So, seven years ago, the crazy nine-gold thriller, Carroll Rhodes with Adam Lallana coming up with a late winner for the Reds, a sign of things to come under Jürgen Klopp. Lallana, he was great, wasn't he? I mean, if it wasn't for injuries, how good could he have been, James? He was, I would certainly define his time at Liverpool as, as a success. It was it was a shame that he probably didn't hit the heights repeatedly um, that I think he could have done if his body didn't re- repeatedly let him down. You know, I think back to Klopp's first game at, at White Hart Lane and that defining image of Lalana falling into his arms after he was substituted. And it was like, you know, it was I think for Klopp, that was like, yeah, you are exactly what I want in this team and what I want to create here is players who are willing to to do what you've just done and and he's a very unselfish footballer very you know great to have around the dressing room I think I think you only had to see that the way that they kind of bent over backwards to make sure he was part of the the title winning celebrations when as his his contract was expiring um because he was such a such a popular guy and uh yeah I was at I was at Carrow Road for that that five four and when he when he scored late on and Klopp, Klopp's glasses got broken didn't they in the in the, uh, <laughs> in the in the big pile on that followed and I think um, I think Sacco was responsible for that actually I think big Mamadou Sacco I think he um, probably I think I think he did other things to annoy Klopp that were probably more um, more significant in his demise than than breaking his glasses but um, but yeah it was because I think that game as well it was kind of that was almost Klopp kind of, it was one of those standout games when it was just like, they just refused to accept their fate where, where the, the, the club and the team that Klopp had walked into, if, if they'd have, if they'd have let, let in a late equaliser, the shoulders would have hunched. It'd have been, oh, for God's sake, here we go again. Yeah. Klopp had got into them and made them start to believe that, that, you know, anything was possible and that we do not stop until the end. And, yeah, that was that was a that was a hell of a day at Carrow Road. Yeah, Sacco. Like, uh, funnily enough, I I went to a game uh, at Crystal Palace when um, I forget who they were playing. In fact, it was Wolves. Went to a game uh, Crystal Palace Wolves, and afterwards I was trying to speak to um, to Zaha, and he was um, he'd been injured, so you know, so I was hanging around the mix zone, and Sacco walked through, and I said to him, "So, Mamadou, you know." Any chance of a quick word? And he looked me up and down. He went, it's you. No. <laughs> and it was like, right, it, it's the least welcoming place. Can you imagine? Sacco, and, and to be fair, it was very, very critical of him in, you know, a lot. But like him 
and and Roy at the same place. God, they hated me. The daggers that were given, you know, whenever they looked at me. But anyway, um, the thing about Lalana to me, Kiva, he was such a clever player, and he, you know, he was the 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 things he did were he got into positions that you. you you know, you think to yourself, wow, this is brilliant and his touch was superb. He worked really hard. In fact, funnily enough, going back to that game at White Hart Lane, Klopp's first game, in many ways, you could see that where he played Coutinho that day, he didn't fancy him that much, but he fancied Lallana like mad. I think with Lallana, his professionalism, you know, is something he's carried now, obviously, with him to Brighton. I think I remember reading a piece maybe last season by Andy Naylor, who's our colleague, writes about Brighton, just saying how, you know, he's taken that professionalism at Liverpool and that, like, you know, just being thorough in every way, his approach to training, and he's taken that and sort of, you know, showing that to those players at Brighton now, which, you know, is probably a good thing for them and they're absolutely flying. It'll definitely be, you know, one point of, of why they're doing so well in, in a list of many. Uh, but I think with Lalana, like you mentioned, his touch, I used to always think, like, had he stayed fit and stuff, he probably had one of, if not the best, touches of a Liverpool player at, you know, certain points with the different squads that he sort of was at the club with. I just remember thinking his quality is just so so high like every time he, he got the ball I think he used to frustrate fans a little bit because he, he'd Cruyff turn into a Cruyff turn and you know sort of that kind of thing but yeah he, he was a great um, a great person for Klopp to sort of a, a conduit almost of, of Klopp's early sort of philosophy at Liverpool and he helped build that and you know we'll look back on that as such an important player to get that you know that energy on the pitch across because he just he ran into the ground for him didn't he and you know we've seen that time and time again from him and I think those early days under Klopp that that Norwich game sums the early days up that like, you know, there were still those defensive frailties to the team, but there was so much joy that was happening in in moments that, you know, four four in, in stoppage time and you're thinking, right, that's it, you know, another disappointing sort of result for Liverpool and and uh, uh, pops up Lallana and 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 scores the winner. And I feel like, you know, those little shifts in momentum and just like togetherness for the team eventually, you know, build up uh what what happened later on and sort of as the seasons um developed under Klopp, you know, those performances were were integral to what what happened later. And, and Stephen Colker up front. I mean, you know what? We were living the dream, weren't we? You know, like the transfer window's still open. Go and get Lalana and see what Colker's doing now. You know, I mean <laughs> before we go, Andy, give us a bit of positivity. Tell us, tell us how things are going to turn around in January, how things are going <laughs> to turn on, around, move on, and how they're going to storm into the top four. Never mind the top four. Is, is, is the title mathematically out of, out of... No, no, it isn't. <laughs> they can do it, can't they? Uh, I mean, you've you've left me in quite possibly the worst position. Matt Phillips up front, maybe. Maybe that's that's the answer. <laughs> At this point, the, the thing I'm I'm hoping or sort of... Laying my hopes on is that is the clean sheets and the fact that Liverpool have looked somewhat more solid. Um, it was interesting actually when I we we did the clock one thousand game piece before the Chelsea game, and I did this um his period at Mainz when he came in and, and they were struggling and they were I think they were in danger of being relegated to the third tier. And basically the first thing he did from sort of the people I spoke to and reading about it was he just got in and sorted the defence out and gave them a base. 
And once he did that, then he built from there and built step by step, increased and, and got the attack and play, and then eventually, you know, had, had, had the success he had there. So it does almost feel like Klopp's going going back to that a little bit. And then, you know, Darwin Nunes gets back to full fitness because I didn't think he looked fully fit when he came off off the bench against Chelsea. And um, if you've got a little bit more that that confidence of solidity, I guess, then maybe maybe we we might be begin to see things turn. But uh, that's that's about as positive as I can get after that Chelsea game where I was freezing. I think everyone was just waiting to go home. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, like, you know, you mentioned Mainz, and it's really worth going to. It's a, a lovely, um, well, it's actually not a lovely ground. It's a terrible ground. But, you know, it's um, it's brilliant to go to. And all the bars there, they've all got, like, pictures and caricatures of Jürgen everywhere. And, and, and there's a statue of him there. There's a statue of him in Mainz, and you know, and they'll build one day. They'll be, build a statue, statue to him outside Anfield. But of course, at the moment, it doesn't feel like it. Here's the positivity: they might be really poor at the moment, but what we saw last season and what we've seen in the previous seasons has been absolutely stunning. And I'll tell you what: you should cherish that you were alive to see it. And that's all for now from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James, Kiva, Andy, and all you listeners for joining us. Remember, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just $1.99 a month. And if you want to subscribe, head over to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. Thank you for joining us. And we'll be back later on in the week. The Athletic. <laughs>